You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. But if you like took some time and you actually looked at the legals, you would realize that it's so different than any other legal. Uh, so it was like this arbitrage that, you know, I, I put like, I think 60 grand or something like that. And that turned into 5 million just because, you know, of that huge arbitrage. So, you know, that's a win. Uh, and it's an example of that there is plenty of other oracles out there. They might be in a different industry. They might be different special situation. The point is that if you go to these exchanges that nobody wants to look at and you go and um, enter or, or uh, turn enough rocks to see what's under them, you might find some interesting uh, opportunities that can change your life. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in and you're in for a treat today. I have a very unique guest, a guest that is very successful at speculating and investing in small cap stocks, uh, not just mining stocks. In fact, he has a great disdain for mining stocks, which we'll also talk about, even though one junior mining stock made him a millionaire, uh, which is kind of interesting. So we'll have that discussion. My guest today is Mario Skoinesche of microcapexplosions.com. Mario, thanks for joining me for the first time. Yeah, thank you, Bill, very much for having me. It will be interesting. Let's get on with it. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with your journey. Why small caps? How do you get investing in small caps? Uh, it's simple. Uh, small caps, very little competition. Uh, the game of investing is run really by uh, big institutions, uh, hedge funds, mutual funds, institutional players. Uh, they are in the business of uh, assets under management. They 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 just make you know small fee based on what they manage, so they are big fat with a lot of money, and they have to put that money somewhere. So they don't have time to mess around with small micro cap stocks. They have to go after the big names, uh, billion dollar companies. They have no choice. Then the other players, obviously, is the retail. And so what do retail do? Well, they they chase Bitcoin. Uh, GameStop, AMC, they want to give it to the man and they want to squeeze the Wall Street, right? For shorting uh, those names. They're, they're busy with nonsense. Uh, as a result, who is left in, the, in those spaces that can go into microcap space, it's just not a lot of people. Not a lot of people even know the space exists. Uh, so it's simple as that. Uh, fewer competition, uh, probability is on your side if you choose uh, the right stocks, of course. So illiquidity is your friend in essence too, right? Because yeah, you're because, investing before the institutions. Yeah, I mean, uh, institutions need liquidity. They want liquidity. And uh, I, I I don't mind having uh, very little liquidity because that keeps them away. And whatever keeps them away, I want to keep the smart people away. Uh, and yeah, so I don't have a problem with liquidity, uh, lack of liquidity, but then you have to pay the price for the lack of it, which is uh, more volatility than usual. So do you consider what you do speculation or investing? Because your bio says you're also in charge of classic value investors. Yeah, classic value investors is kind of like a leftover website. I don't update it that much. Uh, I, I consider myself an investor because the kind of companies that I, I choose to invest in, I, I, I want to be a, an owner, a part of an owner, and I want to be part of their success. I, I don't really like... you know. Uh, trading, short-term trading. 
I, I hate trading in general. It, like the other day, I, I kid you not, I forgot the password to my brokerage account because it's been like eight months since I made a trade. I, I like to, you know, be with my companies for the good and the bad. If they have problems, I'm not going to just switch just because they have problems. Of course, if the problems are so huge that it changes the thesis, then of course I want to get out. But, you know, I want to I wanna be an owner, which means I want to build wealth over the years. So are you investing in people then essentially? Because we talk about them in mining stocks all the time. Basically, the smaller the company, more people matter. Talk about your due diligence as it relates to investing in people. Well, let me just answer this. It's not just people, people and businesses. I, I really want to invest in businesses that are good, meaning that they have maybe recurring revenues or they have something uh, something protecting them. Um, and of course, I do want to have good people behind it. But you know, the quote that Warren Buffett said, invest in businesses that even an idiot can run because one day one will. I focus first on the business and then I, I, of course, want to make sure that the people are okay. Uh, so, so I just wanted to clarify, clarify this. In terms of your next question, which was the due diligence, uh, it's very important in that space because, uh, let's face it, it is a more riskier space. It is, I would say, 80% of the companies in the microcap space, I wouldn't touch them myself because they don't fit my criteria. They might not have revenues or they, they might just have a promise. I don't invest in promises. I want to see revenues. I want to see clients. So that eliminates about 80% of companies out there. And I don't want to do pharma. Uh, uh, you know, We'll discuss the mining space later. I try to stay away from that. I, I want real businesses. So then how do I find out to make sure that they are for real? Uh, I get on the phone. I get on the phone and I, I do what's called a scuttlebutt. I call their customers, I call their employees, former employees. I'll probably get every board member on the phone, even the former board members on the phone to see if they're for real. If I talk to the customers, I want to know why you're buying from them. What kind of problem is the company solving for you? Why aren't you buying from the competitor? Uh, how sticky are you? Is it easy for you to switch from one provider to another? Um, then I do the same with... Uh, Board members, why are you part of the company? Why are you backing them? How did you become a member? Then I try to research employees. Uh, why do you work there? What's so special about it? Or former employees, why did you leave? Is the, uh, is the CEO a crazy man or is he an honest man? Tell me all the dirt because I want to know. I, I open the question like this. Look, I'm about to put a lot of money into this company and I don't want to lose it. So tell me all the dirt that I need to know so that I can decide if the dirt is important or not. And then after you do this kind of work, then you know if the company is for real. You know if they have something special or not. And, you, and I'm not looking for a perfect company. Okay, I'm not. I'm just looking for, I want to know what I want to own. I, that, I just want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then I can decide if this is the story or an opportunity to be involved in. So a scuttlebutt such as you describe, that's a lot of work. But I've also heard you talk about how you vet or kind of filter through hundreds of com small cap companies. I'm assuming you have like a broader or filter before you'll take all that time and effort to do a specific scuttlebutt on a company. Yeah, so like let's let's give you an example of Canadian Stock Exchange, which is the the exchange that they call it for entrepreneurs. Uh, there's about seven hundred or eight hundred companies there. I just went through every single one. Um, look at their website. Uh, look at 
their financials. If if it has rev- no revenues, probably not. But I can't tell right away from the website, is this even a company that I want to get involved? Because I've done this for a long time and I kind of know if a company has recurring revenues, if, if, if a company is uh, going to have low margins. I mean, I can tell right away if, if they're, you know, if they're producing some kind of gadget, electric gadget that's going to take you to the moon, um, probably, probably I would not be interested. So what sector are you interested the most in? If you mining, obviously is not your favorite, but of the, like the sectors within micro caps, what do you gravitate to the most? I like the companies that have recurring revenues, recurring revenues so that every January they don't start from zero. Like the companies that, you know, provide a software as a service, um, uh, high, high margins, um, you know, th- those kinds of companies are, are my favorite. But you're looking for companies that are missing a key catalyst or element, and then you get in as an investor before that key catalyst or element. Would that be accurate uh, with how you seek out these uh, opportunities? I, I, I want companies that uh, have the potential, that have a lot of room for growth. and that maybe sometime in the future they will uh, graduate to nasdaq uh, because on uh, in the whether it's on the canadian stock exchange or tsxv for example or even otc um uh well, well let's subtract the otc on the canadian stock exchange how was the tsxv formed it was formed as a, as a merger of, I believe, three or four different exchanges. One was focused on mining, one was focused on oil and gas, something else, and then there was a technology. So I would say a lot of people on TSXV, they are interested in the kind of place that they, they want to be in mining, they want to be in oil and gas, they want to be in cannabis. They don't really care too much about technology. They don't really care too much about like regular companies they, they they are looking for 10 20 100 beggars uh, so they don't i feel like they don't put much effort into understanding them and that's where i feel like i can come in and i can find those companies and when they do go to nasdaq because because either they uplist to nasdaq or maybe they become big enough to be on nasdaq uh, that's when i feel like they will be more appreciated because Nasdaq, you know, does appreciate those kinds of companies more than TSXV. So what's your thoughts on putting all your eggs in one basket? Do you like to bet big on one particular name or how, how do you spread the risk around? Well, you know, that quote, uh, concentrate to get rich, diversify to stay rich. Um, I am more in the transition now where I would like to be more diversified. Uh, so. I am kind of progressively doing this, but you know, five five years ago, I was more more concentrated than I would like right now. Um, so it, I would say, it just depends on where you are in your wealth level and also the risk appetite and how much conviction you have in certain ideas. I mean, cer- certain stocks that I'm in, I have such huge conviction in them. I don't mind putting more money into them. But even now, with that being said, I'm like. I don't want to get wiped out, and, you know, because you never know. Like you think you know everything, and then there's this surprise. And, and I'm sure you know this more than anybody else. What surprises feel like? 
That's right. Well, Rick, yeah, quote you just said and what you're doing, uh, Rick Rule said, the money I invest with now, I made speculating years ago. So it, that, that's how I view mining stocks too. It is a, it is supercharged to your net worth if you can do it right. But of course, there's losses along the way. So let's talk mining stocks. Uh, the YouTube algorithm keeps feeding me all of your YouTube videos <laughs> about how you hate this company and how you lost money on this company. And so I've watched, I don't know, eight, nine of your videos about how, how horrible mining stocks are. So just uh, share with my audience, if you could, in a PG-13 or less way, why you dis, dis, have disdain for mining stocks. Well, look, I, I, I used to love them. I, I wrote two books on mining, the gold production from beginning to end and how uh, gold companies finance themselves. I've been involved long enough that I'm, I mean, what I've seen in this space is like, wow, I, I, I didn't think such surprises or mess ups were even possible. Uh, I mean, you, you have a situation from, we have a deposit and it's like, oops, uh, our concession is being taken away. Or we thought we had 2 million ounces in the ground and we only have 50. Uh, or, I mean, or, you know, the costs are going to be uh, $11 per silver ounce and oops, they're 40. It's, uh, it's a tough business. It's a really tough business. But you're absolutely right that, I mean, look, that, that, that space changed my life. Okay. It made me a millionaire because of Oracle Resource. And I would have never found Oracle Resource if it wasn't for all the pain that I went through. Um, but you know, I, I made those videos because like, you, you're never going to stop people from wanting to speculate and wanting to get rich, but Hey, go, go and at least educate yourself. Like go and get my books, uh, watch the video series, go to mineningeducation.com. Like, come on, go and educate yourself, like know the risk and then, you know, speculate based on that. Uh, that's like my message, you know, but for me, where I am right now with my wealth le level, Kind of like what you said about Rick Rule. I made the money speculating. Like, I don't want to lose it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, 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 you know, I want to I wanna protect it. So I'm kind of, I would say, I don't want to say that I'm never going to do a mining deal because if something really interesting comes up, I, I might put money into it, but it's not going to be like a huge portion of my net worth, you know? So, Marios, a couple of thoughts as I watch those videos. I'm thinking... Man, I agree with like virtually everything you're saying in terms of the CEO promises one thing and it doesn't come through. And even CEOs that I like, that I write six-figure checks into private placements, it doesn't always turn out well for me. And then I try to assess though, to be fair to them. I'm thinking if I was the CEO, was this within their control? Like if the government takes away their permit, if they did everything right, then should I be blaming the CEO or it is what it is, or they have some geological disaster that was unforeseeable. I mean, you know, you lifted up a lot of the promises in those videos that the CEOs made that clearly didn't get fulfilled. You did a good job documenting it. You played their own words back and said, they said this, the opposite happened. I mean, but don't, just to be fair to the CEOs, shouldn't you also break down perhaps like what was within the realm of control and what wasn't? Yeah, look, I, to be clear, I don't think they're bad people. Like, I mean, I've talked to a lot of them. I, I had conversations. They, I'm sure that like they have to decide what's information, what's in front of them. You know, um, I don't blame every a single one. I mean, I I saw one CEO during my career that was truly a crook, 
But I, I do think that the other people were honest people, good people, and wanted to make money. And the things that happened were just completely out of their control, you know? Uh, and that's what makes this business so tough because you, I know for a fact the kind of due diligence that you do because we, we were kind of involved in a semi-due diligence on one company. I mean, you take it apart, you want to make sure there's no fraud. So I know you do a lot of work on that front. And I, I know that the people that run these companies do a lot of work. And then boom, something unexpected happens. Like, like for example, I just did a video on God of Silver. All these great people involved, Rick Rule, uh, Thomas Kaplan, the guy that runs the company, 40 years of experience. And then, oops, you know, we, an error in the um, 43101 or maybe some other report. We don't have as much as we thought we did. And someone left a comment on my YouTube saying, well, but it wasn't his fault. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying it was his fault. It's just this combination of this is a tough business. This is a tough business. It's a capital intensive business. Um, it's business filled with, you know, problems. Um, and if you are involved in, in an opportunity that they actually solved the problem and delivered on the promises, oh my God, it changes your life. Uh, but just, you know, just be aware of it that this is not the kind of business that they say we're going to have costs, let's say on, uh, on, uh, on gold, we're going to have costs of a thousand dollars production. It's like, you have to understand what, what the result of these costs are. It, it, it's like, how much does it cost to process a ton of, of ore? And it's not like they can just pull out a number. It's, it's a result of all these studies, and this can change. If the grade is just a little bit different, if the recoveries are a little bit different, or if they don't have just a little bit less than they thought, the whole situation changes, and you might, you might say, oops, the costs are 2500 And then people, investors are like, oh, the CEO is an idiot. He didn't deliver. It's more complicated than that. It's, it's like, yes, you can, if you're uh, uneducated about it, you can bash and cast the CEO. But I don't think he lied. He relied on a certain information. It's like, just realize that the business is tough and position yourself accordingly. Yeah, that, that was another question I had for you because you're looking at my, the microcap sphere a lot wider than I am. Did you think that the mining stocks in particular attracted, you know, the, the scum of the sector or uh, a lesser degree of honesty just by the nature of the mining business? That was a question no, I had. For no, you. I don't. I think okay. I think this used to be a problem in the past. That's why Vancouver they used to call Scamcouver. I, I I don't I don't I don't think so. I, I truly think that these these guys want the best. They're honest. Um, and I don't think they're they're lying to you. I, I never really called these people on a lie. Um, it, it's just the circumstances, you know. It, it, you know, it's 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 again going back to the quote. You know, I want to buy businesses that even idiot can run. Uh, and here it's like, be careful, be careful to invest in businesses that even a genius has a problem to run. No, that's a great point. So tell us about your winner for my listeners that aren't familiar with that junior miner that made you a millionaire. Uh, talk to us about how specifically I'm interested in the due diligence process and how you uncovered the potential before everybody else saw it. Okay, so that one was uh, a company that was involved with gold group mining. Uh, I owned gold group mining and gold group mining bought a property from Oracle. And that's how Oracle came on my radar. And also, they happen to share the same office. And apparently, it's typical in, 
Canada to to save money. These juniors kind of have shared office. Uh, so that's how I got to know them. And I just kind of kept in touch with them uh, for months because I would get the scoop on what Gold Group was doing. And I would call Oracle, hey, what's going on? And then eventually I kind of got to know them. And then uh, I learned that they were involved in some kind of copper legal situation. And I didn't put too much thought into it. And then one day I saw that the stock was started to move from like one penny to two or three pennies. And then I saw the CEO was buying and I started researching it. And then I found this website that had their entity name, uh, Sochipala Gold. And it had this whole thing about Santa Thomas Copper Project. And I started reading all these legal documents and I was like, wow, this seems like a big, big, you know, big project. Uh, and it was even included in geological books for students. So I'm like, okay, this is a ma- monster. And then, you know, I called the company and of course they confirmed that they're involved in it and that there's this legal situation. They're going to roll their interest into this. And I was like, what's the market cap at this point? It was like $3 million. And I looked at this property. I'm like, this property is worth 500 million. Your market cap is 3 million. Like, are you, are you like joking? And they were like, no. So then I, you know, I started researching it even more and then um, bought the shares, of course, as much as I could. But what was interesting about this situation is that, you see, uh, Santa Tomas was sold uh, from a Mexican guy to a crook in 2000 when price of copper was like so, so low. And that crook didn't pay for the property. So what happened is that Oracle came in and said, look, we're going to solve your legal problems and we're going to earn 50% interest in the property for doing that. And then if we uh, drill in the future and reconfirm the historical results, then we will you know, dilute you and we will earn more, uh, more interest in the property. Um, and then you know, they won the legal problem, but it was complicated because it was in three different jurisdictions, in Bahamas, Mexico, which is where it is located, and also in Arizona because the entity that was the crook was in Arizona. And for me, the, the biggest selling point was that they already won in Bahamas, but Mexico wasn't uh, recognizing that win. But there was another lawsuit going on in uh, Arizona, which was, uh, it was crazy because the two entities that were fighting, Oracle owned both of those entities. And the, 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 the lawsuit in Arizona was about foreclosing or receivership of the other entity. And I'm like, if they win in Arizona, they own both parties. They cancel all the lawsuits and the, the, the problem goes away. So I started uh, contacting the court court in Arizona, and I was buying uh, documents directly from the court. Like every day when they popped something up, I would call. It would cost me like $2 to buy the document. And I called, I even spoke to the judge on the phone about the case. And what I realized is that there was zero probability that Oracle was going to lose, like complete zero. And I'm not even a lawyer. It was so obvious. The other party did something. The judge was like, nope, you're stupid. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And then the other party was just like a car mechanic and a nurse. Uh, so I was like, it's just a matter of time before they foreclose this, uh, get the get two entities, and they're gonna, and then they're gonna just, you know, if Mexico doesn't recognize or register the title to to the proper entity, it, it's just gonna go away. Uh, so, so when I was buying those documents, I was even uploading them to the website for people to see. Like, look, it's, there's 
just no way. And I was getting these documents before the management was. I was actually telling the management how the how the lawsuit was going in in, in Arizona because you know I would get the documents like immediately, and you know the lawyers take forever to give it to them, so they they would like get it from me. But it was just an example that you know um, nobody was paying attention. Uh, it was too small. The company was too small for for hedge funds to go. It was on TSX Venture, the mining. Um, uh, Mining-specific resource companies—they were not really interested in display because they don't want to get involved in the legal situation. Because we all know that the legals take forever, and you, you never know. But if you like took some time and you actually looked at the legals, you would realize that it's so different than any other legal. Uh, so it was like this arbitrage that you know I I put like I think sixty grand or something like that, and that turned into five million just because you know of that huge arbitrage. So you know that's a win, uh, and it's an example of that there is plenty of other oracles out there. They might be in a different industry, they might be different special situation. The point is that if you go to these exchanges that nobody wants to look at, and you go and enter um, or, or uh, turn enough rocks to see what's under them, you might find some interesting uh, opportunities that can change your life, and that could be very actually very low risk um, in compared to other things that, you know, you have available. So Mario that's very inspirational. Just the, the due diligence. Okay. You're just a guy in your office, in your home, I suppose. And you're calling a judge in Mexico, right? Am I understanding? No, in Arizona. In it was Arizona, a judge in, in Arizona. In I mean, Arizona. can you imagine if I spoke Spanish? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be calling people in Mexico doing your yeah, due diligence? Of course. Well, that's what the company told me. It's like, I'm glad that they were like, we're glad you don't speak Spanish because we don't know what you who we would call. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so, but basically you wanted it more than the next guy. So the arbitrage you're speaking of, as I see it, and Rick Rule talks about this, is the knowledge arbitrage. Because we're talking about small small caps, nobody cares about it. There's a little legal uncertainty. You were willing to dig into it. You know, you saw the geological value, which one day could be realized in the market, but there was this hurdle. You researched and said, this hurdle's coming down. I mean, like that. Well, that, that ge- see, that geological picture was that uh, this was a deposit that already had a feasibility study on it years ago, based on historical uh, holes. Uh so even though those holes were done 20 years ago, they are not 43-1 compliant. Uh, I had some comfort because it's like, okay, if it reached feasibility study in the past and they, uh, and they drilled very uh, shallow, they didn't drill deep enough, then I was like, you know, they, they included it in geological books. People get excited about it. Like, it's probably going to reach that level again. So there was a lot of margin of safety, especially when the market cap was $3 million. So for a resource stock, if you are ever to speculate in a junior resource stock, and I'm not trying to be an evangelist for mining stocks here, but I'm just trying to pick your brain. Would it be a legal uncertainty play to where the geological value is established, such as Oracle, not a speculative exploration play, or even a producer, but then there's this opportunity for you to capitalize on this knowledge arbitrage more than another? Would that be the type of situation that would draw you into a mining stock again? Hmm. I don't know. I like to keep an uh, open mind. Um, like when I see something, I know. Uh, I know that some investors like to have a checklist. Oh, you know, it has to check this, this, and that. I like to keep it open. That's why, that's why when I do look at companies, I don't use screens. I don't use computer. I just want to look at everyone and see 
what's there, you know? Uh, and so many times, you know, as a suggestion for people, um, so many times what you see on the screen might not be the whole story. Like, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and talk to the CEO. And yes, I know that the CEOs can be promotional and all this. That's where you later do your due diligence to make sure he's telling you the truth. But they can really cut your time, due diligence time in half or more because they're going to tell you right away like what, what is important and what's not and who is better to teach you about the business if not the CEO. Um, yeah, I would just you know get on the phone. Don't be afraid. Just get on the phone, call them. Just like say, sell me, sell me. Why do you think I should own this stock? You know, let let them be uh, promotional. Like, let them get you excited. I mean, this is what happened to me recently with my other company called Voxter, which is involved in the real estate space. I used to be a real estate appraiser, and I went through every single company on TSXV, which was like three thousand, I think. And I found this company called I Look About. Today it's Voxter, and they are you know doing good things in the real estate appraisal space. Uh, when I looked at it at first, I was like, yeah, it's nice, but mm, I'm not interested. And then when COVID came, I realized that the whole industry is going to change. And I called the CEO. He talked to me for two hours. He immediately sold me. I was like, yep, he's right. That's what's going to happen. And it's a 10-bagger since then. And it's going to be another 10-bagger from today's levels based on what's what's happening. But if I never picked up the phone and took to this CEO, um, I would have never got this opportunity. And Marios, if I understand the evolution of your investments in your business, you didn't start off trying to form a network. You kind of just found some successful investments, put it online, and then a network kind of evolved from there. Is that right? I'm not a good networker. Okay. Like, I'm just not. The, 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 this whole social media and YouTube thing is great because if I go to a networking event, like, I just, it's just such a waste of time for me. I, I'm not very good at, you know, schmoozing and drinking and all that. So this is so much better for me. And and you see, the thing is that when I see ideas promoted on Twitter or, or something like that, I'm usually not successful with ideas that somebody else gives me because they already pumped it to so many of their friends. By the time I get it, it's like, you know, in two months, they're going to exit and I'm going to get crushed. I'm the best going directly to the source directly to the exchange, finding them, finding interesting opportunities, calling the CEO out of blue, finding out what's going on. And as you know, with these smaller companies, the CEOs will talk to you. All of them will talk to you. Uh, it's so it's not like this with the big, you, you think the CEO of Microsoft will talk to you? Like not a chance, but those small companies, like they're lonely. <laughs> Nobody's calling them. <laughs> you, you pick up the phone. They're like, they want to tell you all the good things about the business. and. Some people might might say, well, what about inside information? Yeah, what about inside information? It's like when you're doing uh, due diligence, you hear all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, some of it is inside, some of it is not. But like, what are you going to do? You're talking on the phone. The guy is telling you all kinds of stuff, right? So when you do due diligence, you, you uncover all sorts of stuff. Some of the stuff you should you, you should know. Some of the stuff you should know. I mean, it's 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 a gray area, but it's yeah. Marios, your website, microcapexplosions.com. Uh, thousands of resource investors are listening to us right now. Tell them what they can find there and what it has to offer. 
uh, it's pretty much uh, my research, my, my portfolio from that micro cap space. Uh, interesting companies. I have uh, full uh, write-ups, why they are interesting, uh, CEO interviews. We, we do live calls with the CEOs where uh, you, the listeners can ask the tough questions, uh, have their concerns. And uh, from time to time, we raise money for these companies and we create our own catalyst. We, uh, as a group, we have about 300 members. As a group, we raised close to $25 million over the last couple of years for four companies. So uh, not too many people are aware of it, but you can create your own success like this. Because if a company uh, needs money to acquire something or market, uh, we can inject them with money. And then they, if they use this money properly, we can uh, you know, create, we are our own catalyst and we can create our own success. And you have to be an accredited investor to join. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, not, not to join microcap explosions, but you have to be an accredited investor to, to be part of the private placements. Excellent. Well, Marios, if you invest in a junior miner or find one you like, could I be one of the first people you tell? <laughs> or do I have to join microcap explosions first? <laughs> I, I think you, you would have a preferential treatment. Okay. Hey, I appreciate be, that. Be, be on the lookout on my next video in the, within the next few days. Uh, truly the right way to make money in mining. Ten, okay. ten ways to make money in mining. So I, I don't want to spoil what's in it, but be on the lookout for it. I will I will look out for that. And I'm going to link to Marios's website below and his YouTube channel. Go check out his YouTube channel. He shares his thoughts. Many of them come raw. Um, and so, Marios, uh, you are an inspiration and uh, very insightful what you share today. And I hope you're an inspiration to my listeners, many of which are just beginning their journey in small caps, specifically mining stocks. And they aspire to be a millionaire and put 60 grand in at three cents and watch it go over three dollars. So thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.